I tell parents, I said, I will always have a conversation about your son's health, physical and mental health, because that's the most important thing. But outside of that, it's really between your son and I, whether it comes to anything academically related or lacrosse. Those are conversations that I want to have with your son, because that's a huge part of the relationship development. The head coach of Fairfield, Mr. Andrew Baxter, he's the guest on this week's Chasing the Goal podcast. Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt, alongside me, Mr. Jack Piatelli. We're back in the lab. Jack, how we doing? Holiday season. Can't believe it's already December. And I got a little tip that Santa Claus is not coming to your house this year. Oh, really? Yes, yes, yes. But yeah. I, I will tell you, your beard is really coming in nice. It's got a lot of gray. You're starting to look a little like Santa Claus. And you're not old enough to be Santa Claus, but you're starting to look like Santa Claus. I'm getting a little That's worried, great. Kyle. That's great. I'm really glad we could start off the podcast with a <laughs> Kyle slam. Also, Christmas is my birthday. Wow. Yeah, it's literally the worst. It ever. is. That is the worst. But I'll tell you a little trick. As an adult, all I do is guilt everyone into being like, oh, I never got presents when I was little. I never had a birthday party. And then everyone <laughs> overcompensates. <laughs> And that's all coming up, Kyle. But I want to introduce our guest today, the head coach of Fairfield, Mr. Andrew Baxter. How are we doing, coach? Great. Appreciate you guys having me on. Really excited to catch up and and talk across and specifically Fairfield across. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Stags. I I definitely have to get this out of the way before Jack says it. Springfield grad, really? We got another one on the podcast? (laughs) How How do you do it? How do you keep doing it? I don't do it. it, it Coach Bugby does it. And it uh, just happens to be, uh, he's the mafia man who, who gives these great young men an opportunity to coach uh, lacrosse at a high level. And by the way, this gentleman, the head coach of Fairfield, Andrew Baxter, his wife, Marika, went to Springfield College as well. What, what, what a history. Family. All right, let's get all the Springfield out. Tell me your best Springfield story. Tell me your best Keith Bugby story, because apparently everyone from Springfield has, has one. And I, they should. I we love Coach. I'm not. I'm not saying anything bad about Coach. I'm just. There's so many Springfield yeah. people. Co- coach has been great. I I've gotten to know him actually a lot closer since I have been away from that place. So I actually had my volunteer actually just left Matt Dalton, who was a Springfield grad as well, and then I have Craig Gibson on staff, who's also a Springfield guy who I played with. So, but but going back to Coach Bugby, I was just with Coach Bugby probably at the end of the summer at Matt's wedding, and it was me, Coach Gibson, and Coach Bugby at a table. So. I, uh, not that Coach Bugby is, is, he's, he's older than I am, but I felt old at the wedding because there was about, there was probably 85 Springfield people there because Matt's wife also went to Springfield for lacrosse. So there was an enormous amount of Springfield college grads at the wedding. I'm sure they're all coaches too. <laughs> I bet they yeah, are. A lot, a lot of, co- a lot of coaches. <laughs> Kyle, I'm surprised you weren't invited to the wedding. I guess not. Well, I didn't go to Springfield and I didn't coach <laughs> there. So that's why. Well, Coach Bugby's been great. He get, he shoots me a text over the last four years. He shot me a text before every game, just wishing me good luck. And and uh, like I said, we've become a lot closer, I think, as I've gone through this. And and when I was a 20, 21-year-old playing for him, not not nearly as as mature as I probably needed to be at that point. And, and kind of it's, it's really grown to appreciate what Coach did for me playing there and, and it's done for me since as a mentor and, and, and colleague. So it's been, been a lot of fun. I just did the math. We played against each other. When you were at Springfield and I was at Clark. And I wouldn't call it playing against each other. I would call it a slaughter. A slaughter. <laughs> I the score of that game was like 21 to 1. And yeah, I played every was... position just running around like crazy. I was, I was like a sophomore. 
I was, so I wasn't, I was, I played a lot, but I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't playing. Well, obviously you weren't doing anything. You only just going to go home. I mean, you don't have to tell us that. Yeah, it was, it was tough, but that's, that's funny. I don't have a ton of connections. uh, Oh, oh, one, I graduated college. I don't know if that was. Yeah. So that's my sophomore year. Yeah. So I was definitely playing and you guys definitely beat us, but you scored at least 20 because we got 20 dropped on us every year, except for one when you got 18. We were really good that year though. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah. That was a very good, very good season. And uh, you've been a part of a lot of very good seasons. I think the, the most famous one, obviously, is, is with Yale winning the national championship before you took this Fairfield job. And, you know, I think you're, you're a defensive guy. You're known for defense. You're known for your, your ability to recruit and bring players into your program. What is the biggest difference between coaching at, at Yale and then in, in the Ivy League and coaching in the CAA at Fairfield? I think the biggest thing is just, just knowing where you're recruiting to and, and kind of finding your niche of, of where to recruit from, what kind of, that you're going to have a legitimate shot at and, and kind of be as efficient as possible. And you know, I think, I think at, at Yale, obviously the academics speak for itself and that's that they, that the place recruits itself academically and you're going to draw from some of the higher high school prep schools, all that stuff. And I think outside of the Ivy League, I think you just have to really work to, like I said, find your niche and, and find players that are, would be a good fit for, for your style, obviously one, but, 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 you know, most importantly, I think for the school, cause you want guys to get the most out of their experience. And I think that's been the biggest sell for, for me here at Fairfield is, is selling the overall experience here as a student athlete. I think it's just an incredible place. Academically, we've got some incredible opportunities, schools, majors, geographically, it's, it's in a perfect spot in between urban areas, North, obviously New York city, just South of us. And then, and then socially it's just, it's just a great spot, great size school. And they do a great job of, of keeping this place beautiful and it's good. And the facilities athletically are, are unbelievable. So I think for us, it's been, that's been a sell here at Fairfield is just, just the overall student athlete experience. In terms of becoming a head coach, is there anything that you've learned or didn't expect as a head coach coming in, having so much experience as an assistant coach, anything that, that might've surprised you or you didn't anticipate when you became a head coach? Totally. I think I was, I've told a couple of people this. I think I remember uh, being an assistant and, and being out of practice at, at all the places I was and, and I'd be out there early, I don't know, half hour, 20 minutes, 15 minutes early, whatever it was, and, and wondering where the head coach was, if he was going to show up for practice or not. And then, and then out, they would stroll like a minute before practice. And I'd be like, what the heck, what, the, what, what, what are these guys doing? Yeah. And uh, now I'm that guy. Yeah. I roll out the practice like five minutes before, a minute before, because I just didn't realize, I guess, uh, how many people rely on you or need you for whether it's decisions or, or meetings, or there's just a lot more, you got a lot of more irons in, in, in the fire, I guess, if you will. So I think that's been the biggest difference and just kind of the biggest adjustment that I've had to make is, is balancing, um, those things between alumni and developments and just all the things that go into, to running a program, right? All your support staff. And so that's been. It's been fun. It's been challenging, but I think that's probably the biggest thing is just learning to, to balance all those things, Jack. Yeah. And I imagine it's been, uh, very difficult at times, just prioritizing those responsibilities and your time. So you're not late for practice, correct? 
Yeah, absolutely. But it's inevitable that some, but something comes up every day. Right. You, yeah. You can, yeah, you can be the uh, most meticulous guy with your schedule, and then all of a sudden that goes out the window five minutes into your day because you know of, of things that take priority. And I always prioritize the team. So it's it's the guys on the team are the priority, and and we have fifty three of them, and and inevitably. A couple of them need something, whether they're sick or they have academic problems or they have, they need something at home or whatever it is. And and so I think that's, that's, that's been, that's been, the, that's been, like I said, it's been the fun part, but it's been, it's been, it's been the biggest thing to, to kind of manage. And I think the other thing that I was going to say is I think um, that, that I knew getting into going from assistant to head, but, but managing a staff and, and having a direct staff underneath you is definitely was, was new to me. And I think Parts of it came naturally and parts of it I had to really kind of reflect on and, and think about how I wanted to have certain conversations or or how to just, just manage the staff in general. As a head coach, do you sometimes question yourself when you ask your assistant coaches to take on tasks that you didn't like to do when you were an assistant coach? <laughs> here's here's a hilarious story. So, and I was with a couple of those guys there. I was with Matt and Matt Felton the other day with my volunteer and, he, and we were talking about the proverbial we. And I, I remember coming in about six months into this job and I go, and I told my staff, I said, guys, I just want to apologize if I use the proverbial we, and when I say the, when I say we, I mean, can you guys do that? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get this off my yeah. plate. So, Thank God yeah. it's off my plate now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry guys. No, absolutely. And that's definitely something I'm cognizant of it every day is, all right, Hey, is this something that, 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 that I should do because I know exactly how I want it to be done? Or is this something that I can pass off my staff? And when I think there's part, it, it, you some of them you want to pass out of them because you want them to get that experience and learn how to do that. But sometimes it just needs to be done in the way that I want it done. So I'll have to do it myself. And so it's definitely a, a combination of all of, of those couple of things. But yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's, I, it's a, it's a real balancing act because you, you want to delegate because, you know, there's only so many hours in your day, but if you delegate, you want to make sure the guy you're delegating to has the same understanding and, and can execute like you do. So it's like, and then it might take him a while to be able to execute at the same level that you're at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that all comes down to communication. And that's the other thing that I probably have learned the most. And, and it sounds like an obvious statement, but I think everything comes down to communication and how you communicate. And I think communicating to the staff, we, we talk a lot about being proactive with our communication and clean with our communication. So I think as proactive as you can be and, and lay it out for them, what you, what you want out of the task or, or, or the, uh, the thing you need done. And then when they, when they, when they get done, giving them feedback and, 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 and letting them know, Hey, oh, this was great. This was great. This could be a little bit better instead of just keeping it in and, and not letting them know. Right. Yeah. I think one of the things I take away from that is like, everyone wants to be a, a college head coach and, and everyone really wants it so bad. And the sad reality of it is like, there's not a ton of coaching that you're doing. It's a lot of, uh, oh God, paperwork, Excel sheets, emails, calls, texts, like you said, alumni. It's, it's a different beast than I think a lot of people not only don't understand, don't appreciate. Like you, you can't just be a college head coach because you're good at coaching lacrosse. It's not possible, right? Like you have to have another set of skills to organize and like you said, communicate as well. And I'm always curious about that process for you. And Jack asked about your assistants. Like, how do you go about hiring your assistants and building your, your team and from the volunteer to the ops to, to offense and defense? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think 
The biggest thing for me, and I've been fortunate that my staff has been here since I got here. I, I hired two great guys, Craig Gibson, who I played with at Springfield, who went with Coach Nagel at Stony Brook and Colgate before that, and Charles Junta, who was played at St. Joe's and spent a couple of years as a volunteer at St. Joe's with Coach Reg. And those guys have been with me for for now into year four. And and I think the biggest thing for for me was loyalty with kind of the vision. Like I think to your point, Kyle, I think like the the uh, the the time spent building culture is like huge and, and kind of having that macro vision of what you want the program to look like at the end of the day. Right. Um, and uh, there was a lot of times there's, there still is, I feel, feel like the majority of my time is spent there kind of having these guys getting their opinions on, on what they value, but, but also having to stand on, on what this program is going to, going to value and what we stand for and, and, and constantly teaching that. But I've been, I've been lucky that my staff is, was bought into that from the beginning and, and it really help me get get our messaging across to our guys. And I think that was super important to me going through the hiring process, finding guys that that were were hungry for 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 a challenge and excited about building something. So that's kind of been where we started and and where we continue to to put emphasis. What do you think is the most important thing you can do to build culture in your first week? Like what's the one thing that you put in that you go, oh, I'm so glad I did that. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me that's really shaped the program was establishing a mission, vision, and principles, right? So, so setting your team up for what their goals are, how they're going to get there, and then how they act on a day to day, right? So for us, our mission is win the, win the CA championship, win the NCA championship. The vision was to become the best version of yourself. And the core principles are selfless commitment, relentless effort, and joy. So we talk about couple of those things almost every day and try to give examples and continue, we're continuing to find those every day for these, for, for the players here at Fairfield and our guys. And I think they've done a great job of, of kind of knowing what those are now and, and, and adhering to them. And I think those are the conversations I'm having now at the end of the fall here with guys, like how committed they are to those, those, the mission, vision, and the principles. You talked about communication. And when I started coaching in height, back when I played, I played for a number of very good guys and Keith Buggy was new to the game when, when I played. So he doesn't have the, he didn't have the knowledge that, that he has now, obviously, but I always sort of coached the way that I always wanted to be coached. And I always felt like communication was so important for every player to know where they stand. And you talked about having individual meetings with each player. Now, will you sit down with every player and let them know where they stand in terms of their lineup and playing time and what they need to work on before they go home for the holiday. So everyone is on the same page. Yep. Yep. That's what we're doing right now. So I'll do that at the end of the fall and then at the end of the end of the year in the spring as well. And we typically do it the way I structure it is I, I, I typically have them bring in a well, better how of, of their fall individually. And then a well, better how of the team, things they did well, things they want to work on and how they're going to do it. So it becomes an action plan and, and, and a conversation between, you know, me and me, me and the, me and the players so that they can, like I said, these guys are going home. So it's like, all right, Hey, if they tell me they need to work on this, it's like, all right, well, how are you going to do that over the next four or five weeks here? Uh, some of the, uh, well, better, how letters you get or notes, whatever they are, are they, some of them unrealistic? Are they like coming in and like, Hey guy, you didn't, you didn't play as well as you thought you did this fall. Maybe you're talking to your parents too much. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. <laughs> And yeah. that's, that's the beauty of it. It becomes a conversation that you can, you can 
you, you end up asking, all right, well, if you, if they say something they, they thought they did well and you don't necessarily agree, it becomes a conversation of, all right, well, let, let me hear some examples of why you think you did that well or when you did that well. And, and I think it's just like, it's a constant learning experience for them. I think to self-reflect is huge because that's the, it's the, it's the way to get better. Right. So yeah, it's, it's a great exercise. And, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, like to your point, it just becomes a conversation. It's typically guys are completely off, but like I said, there's definitely some, some conversation pieces in there. Right. In terms of parents, we have a lot of parents that listen to the podcast and got helicopter parents out there, especially at the youth level. And my message to a lot of parents, wait till your son gets to high school, you're not going to be able to have any communication with the parents. And then I even know there are coaches now at the college level that can still hear from the parents. What's your message to your players about their parents and, and, and parents in general? Typically I'll, I'll communicate with our parent group just about kind of the, 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 the way the communication should go. And I, and I, and I tell parents, I said, I, I will always have a conversation about your son's health, physical and mental health, because that's the most important thing. But outside of that, it's really between your son and I, whether it comes to anything academically related or, or uh, the related specifically lacrosse, um, those are conversations that I want to have with your son, because that's the, that's a huge part of the relationship development. There's, there's. There's loyalty and trust that needs to go into those conversations and those need to take place between the two people that are in that relationship. And that's just the way to do it. All right. Now that you're warmed up, when did you become a run and gun coach? Because <laughs> I don't remember it being like that before. And I, I watched some Fairfield last year and there was some serious run and gun, fun and gun style going on. And I was yeah, pretty surprised. I, so so it's a, that's a great question because you know what, it was honestly, when I, when I, when I got the job here at Fairfield and I went back to my experience when I was at Drexel being in the league and I knew how some of the teams in the league played and liked to play. And, and I wasn't sure that we would want to play that way right away. But so I was, I got to thinking and I, I obviously took some of the things that we found successful at Yale that worked for us in, in in offensively and defensively and, 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 uh, kind of gave it a little bit more life and a little bit more juice and said, we're going to live with even more mistakes than we, 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 we had been playing the style at Yale. And I felt like it was a great way for us to develop, a uh, uh, a niche, I guess, in the league, um, against some of these teams that were predominantly great in the six on six and paid, played at a slower pace. And so that was definitely purposeful starting our first year. And I think the, 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 the theory behind it is that I feel like you can always rein it in to a certain extent, offensively, defensively versus starting out slower and more passive and trying to rev it up when you need to, it's easier to rein it. So that was kind of my thought process was, Hey, let's just go all out here offensively. Let's let's defensively, let's try to try to get out, create some turnovers, I'll try and push the ball in transition, and then we can rein it in as needed. So it's a great question, Kyle. And, and I think. We've, we've kind of, we've done a good job of, of, of continuing that style. And I'm glad that it's, it's getting noticed. Yeah. I, I mean, I, personally, and this is probably going to offend some people, but listen, it's, it's met with, with love. I used to call the CAA, the rock fight league because it was literally every game was under 10 goals per game for both mm -hmm. teams. Like it was like eight, nine, 10, nine, eight, four, six, two. And you're just like, oh God, it's just, it's so much defense. It's so much six on six and the shot clock made it so that you can't, they, they weren't that committed to the six on six style, but I, I distinctly remember several years where the CA was just like struggling to score on fast breaks 
And I would just be the, at Inside the, the Cross, they would assign us to games. Uh-huh. And uh, I knew someone was mad at me when I got CAA games because I was <laughs> like, oh, I don't, I want fast breaks. I want excitement and stuff. And they're just like, no, it's your week to do CAA games. And I will say it's totally different. Like the, the team style, the style of all the teams that play in it is like you were saying, much more, I think, offensive minded, even, even teams like, like Towson with Natalin down there, who's, you know, <laughs> preaching defense until his other neck falls off. Cause he's got the <laughs> thickest neck I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I love, I love Sean Natalin, but That's funny. It, it's, it's wild. Like I'm so, I've never heard a coach say that before where it's easier to start fast and rein it back. Like that, that's an interesting thing. How did you come to that? Like, is that just like your philosophy or is that kind of like a, a unique approach that you take? I think it started defensively. I think I always found when teaching defense, it was easier to start by playing further out, sliding faster, doing all that, teach those principles so that you can have that speed and, and tempo when you need it. And then, and then dial it back. I just found it easier to teach that way versus trying to, trying to rev it up when you needed it. So I took that and, and incorporated that out to our overall philosophy here, offensively and defensively. Does, does that change what kind of player you're looking for when you recruit? Yeah, a little bit. I think we, we run from the midfield. We like guys that can play both sides of the ball. So we're recruiting to our two-way system. I think it's, it's a system that's kind of, it tweaks, you, you tweak it a little bit every year, depending on your personnel, depending on how you think you can play that year a little bit. But I think we're always going to be, we're always going to have guys that we want to play two ways. We want guys that are, that are, can do multiple things, can take face off wings, can play man down, can play the offense when, when need be from the midfield. So we definitely recruit to that style. I think defensively, we look for guys that, that can run first and foremost that are, are athletic and can get out. And, and play a higher tempo. And then, and then offensively, we want guys, obviously you know, everyone wants great attackmen that are athletic and skilled and that kind of thing. So yeah, for sure. It definitely affects the recruiting process. We're going to take a quick break, but there's more Chasing the Goal podcast on the way. This winter, Piatelli Lacrosse has a great way for you to stay in shape and play lacrosse. Kyle, yes. Yeah, starting in January, we have box lacrosse leagues for youth and high school. Players of all ages at two convenient locations in Agawam and Taunton, Massachusetts. The up-tempo pace of box lacrosse is an excellent way for players to learn to play faster and develop new skills that will make you more effective on the field in the spring. And coaches will be provided for each game, and all players will take part in mini-clinic prior to the game where we will work on different box lacrosse skills. Make the most of your offseason, play some box lacrosse. This program is open to all interested players. For more information on our Winter Box League, visit www.piatellilacrosse.com. Dedication, skills, focus, and the drive to play at the highest level. Lacksachusetts is committed to providing the coaching and curriculum that will allow boys and girls to learn and grow as individuals and as teammates. With an emphasis on skill development and academic excellence, their players have led the country in college recruiting for the past 10 years. With over 800-plus players moving on to play in college and over 130-plus high school All-Americans, Lacksachusetts has been able to set the nationwide standard unmatched in the sport of lacrosse. To learn more, log on to Lacksachusetts.com. That's Lacksachusetts.com. 
Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England lacrosse? New England Lacrosse Journal and LaxJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England lacrosse scene. Have every issue of New England Lacrosse Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to LaxJournal.com to receive daily digital lacrosse coverage on Club Lacrosse, College Commits, Prep and High School, Division One, Two, and Three Colleges, Showcases, Rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by logging on to LaxJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Lacrosse Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. In terms of playing fast, do you find that mentally you've got to be in that, that mindset to, to understand or you're thinking if you're going to play pass, fast, you're going to have to mentally be paired to, prepared to play fast. Mm-hmm. Is that something you teach or is that something the players have? So we work a ton on our mental conditioning. Really? So Yes. We, we, we work with a, a mental conditioning coach, performance coach who does a lot of the overall philosophy behind that is just the next play mentality, Jack. So you have to have a, when you're, when you turn the ball over maybe a few more times than you'd like to, you got to have a serious next play mentality because you kind of got to forget about those last plays in order to make the next one. And so we work on that a ton. We work on a lot of mental imagery. We work on a lot of mental toughness strategies in terms of, of, of developing that mindset. And we do that every day of practice. So that's something that, that we incorporate into our practices in order to play like that. How do you uh, give us some examples, how you incorporate that? Is that incorporated with, with the drills you run? Yeah. So we'll do the easiest one to explain, I think is, is we do a thing called two minute drill at our practice. So it's, 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 it's multifaceted here. So it starts after our stretch, we'll go into our positional groups. And we have each group will come up with a keep it simple plan for that day based on what they saw the practice plan in the locker room was. So for instance, if we are doing, let's say we're doing zone offense and zone defense, and we're doing man to man down that day, the defensive guys might get, get together and say, all right, Hey, we gotta, we gotta focus on these two things in the zone. And we gotta work, focus on this thing in the man down. And that's their keep it simple plan for the day. So there's their focus for the, for the day. Right. So then after that, we come together. We may have a group talk to the team about what their keep it simple plan is for the day or their ABCs for the, and then we'll break off into a, we work on one of our, our mental toughness strategies. So the guys will go and hit what they call, what we call refocus and a release, which is basically trying to flush a bad play that might happen in practice. So we'll do that. And they do that on their areas of the field. And then we go from there and we do a minute of, um, 
shadow reps of lacrosse. So we get some mental imagery in every day of practice. So the attack will go down and work on their, their footwork, maybe some of the calls that they're going to work on at practice that day. Maybe so if it was, again, zone offense, zone defense, we'll, we'll work on a little two-man, three-man zone play. Defense might go down and work getting their spots in the zone, work on some of the communication there for just a quick minute, right? And then we get into practice after that. Um, and then on top of that, so if, if, if practice isn't going well and, and we see the guys, we might need a, we might need a breath at practice. I'll blow the whistle three times and we'll go back into that and we'll do the two minute drill again in the middle of practice as needed so that we can, we can develop that mindset, right? Of, of, Hey, we need, we need to, we need to take a deep breath here. We need to, we need to calm, think about this for a second before we just continue to, to compound this. Yeah, you see a number of players come off the field if they turned the ball over or didn't pick up a ground ball that they should have had or got lazy with their stick and lost the ball due to a check and they're pouting and some of these young kids will throw a stick or something like that. But lacrosse is, it's 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 a, a game of mistakes and it's, it's the team that limits the mistakes and the, the team will n normally win who is mentally stronger than the other team because they can rebound from those those mistakes and limit the mistakes. I, I like your, your philosophy, keep it simple at practice. And so basically what you're, you're teaching your players, perfect a couple of things on the zone defense and not try and master 10 different things in the zone defense in one practice. So if you can perfect a couple of things today, then you can perfect a couple of things the next day instead of trying to teach too much and try and learn too much, just like the classroom, right? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Every 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 time we have these guys is just just teaching, you know? and uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that next play mentality is huge. We talk a lot of, to your point, Jack. I think when if you you miss a ground ball or you drop your stick, it's it's how you respond is going to determine everything, right? It's trying yeah, to teach I, these guys how to how to respond versus react. The reaction is putting your palms up in the air and pouting to the refs about a penalty versus responding is going to pick up your stick and continuing to ride or whatever it is. Yeah, what what I did back in the day at Springfield, if I lost a ground ball to a guy, when the ref wasn't looking, I'd just slash him in the leg and get away with it. But you can't do that today because you got the cameras and everything. You, you can't get away with that. Games weren't filmed back then. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're not kidding. And then so I wanted to make sure I wanted to make sure that defensively couldn't pick up the ground ball again. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh strategy. God. Yeah. Let me. Let me. T I'm gonna push back on something you said. I hate when people say lacrosse the game mistakes. Because it's not. Soccer is a game of mistakes. Lacrosse, lacrosse is a game of little successes. I, I actually do believe this. I, this is a philo philosophical I guess you could thing. Look at it. You could look at it You can look way. at it either way. But yeah. I, I don't, because I think there are sports that are, you make the least amount of mistakes you win. I don't, that lacrosse is that. Yeah, but I don't I think, don't. You, you don't go into the game thinking you got to make less mistakes and you're going to win. You gotta, you gotta execute. Going thinking you have to execute. Yeah, you have yeah. to execute. Absolutely. Right. That's but why I push back. But at the end of the day, the team that turns the ball over, doesn't win faceoffs, doesn't make the, the saves they should make, are gonna lose the game. Right. But the th the 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 reason I don't think it's a game of mistakes, it, or or even a game of turnovers, and I'm someone that in, I feel like I'm the only person in the media that fights turnovers, and believes that they're important in stats. No one wants to talk about negative stats. I think that it's important to get all the phases right. But I think so many people focus in on one phase, like more shots, more faceoffs. One, you can win all the faceoffs and still lose the game. No question about it. Do you know what I mean? Like that's like a huge part of. But you're gonna have a better chance to win if you if you win the faceoffs. Sure. Yeah. But I, I mean, well, let's lead so, into that. Yeah, let's coach. lead into that. No, because coach does not have his faceoff guy oh. coming back, right. and he does not have his goal starting goalie coming back, and he has people fighting for those spots. 
going into spring. But let's ask Coach what what he thought of my 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 statement about the game is is. Um, you want to see who's right? Okay, number, mi- that's fine. Well, yeah, mistakes. I I'm mean, right. It's fine. Coach, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? What? Come on, you're a spring throw. I'm, I'm a spring throw guy, I too. I know. I, I, I think uh, I, tear to, I, I tend to err on the side of the positivity, I guess, Jack. Not to, not to say it's not a game of mistakes. I think the team that makes less mistakes probably puts themselves in a better chance to win. But when we, when we watch film, for instance, we have teaching points and positives, right? So we don't look at them as negatives as much as we look at them as teaching opportunities right. or mistakes. We right. look at them as, hey, this is how we got to get better, right? And then we and then we focus on the things that we did well. So so I'll change uh, I'll change my language. Okay, I won't call them. It's it's a, the team that makes the most mistakes loses. The t- team that has more teaching moments loses. How's that? There you <laughs> go. There you wow. go. Way yeah. to twi- way to I, twist that in a knot. That's that's kind of the opposite of of, of everything. But I, it's it's like a double negative. Like it, it works technically, but you're not supposed to do it, right? Like it's just one of those things. I'll let you win. Yeah. I appreciate it. Every once in a while, I get a g- couple words in. Coach, just going back to, to the other point I was making, you're, you're not bringing back Frankie Libetti. You're not bringing back James Corisanti, the face your starting face-off guy and goalie, respectively, from last year. You've got a lot of players battling for those spots. How do you pick players to, to, to win? I think, I think to, to win that spot, because I think a lot of people that aren't, in coaching or even people that aren't super into lacrosse as a sport don't get how one player is better than another a lot of the times. They they don't know what the, the evaluation criteria are. I think there's not to bring in another example of soccer, but you know, USA just got knocked out of the World Cup and everyone's like, why didn't you play this guy? Right? To the to the club. Why didn't you play Gio Reyna? Greg Berhalter. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you play him? And he's just mm-hmm. like, he's the coach. There's a reason he didn't play him, but like maybe he doesn't mm-hmm. want to tell it to everyone. How do you go about selecting the guy is it is it the best guy every single time that gives you the chance to win or how do you pick a guy that's kind of even with another guy what's a differentiator for you i mean i think there's there's two things obviously you got to have talent in order to win faceoffs or make saves or win games but i think ultimately it comes down to trust right so you want to put guys on the field that the other players on the field trust and yeah. the coaches can trust that that guy when he goes out there he's all about what every other guy is about, meaning he's all for Fairfield lacrosse. He is, he is compelled, right, to do what he's been coached, what his teammates are counting on him to do. And I think that's, that's, the, that's the deciding factor. And if guys are equal in talent, then, then it comes down to, hey, who, who, who's, been, who's been putting in the work in order to gain the trust of his teammates? Who's been the guy in the locker room that's been the most, given the most energy in the locker room on the field? Who's the guy that's watching the film? Who's the guy that's working his butt off in the weight room? Because that's the guy you want out there, especially if you know you're at the end of the game and it's crunch time. And that guy in, in games, you fall back on your training. So you want guys that are going to fall back on their training when the, when push comes to shove in the game. Yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting the the difference between college and high school. For that question, is I was coaching high school my first year back two years ago, coaching Hopkinson. And I had a kid come up to me and he's like, he didn't play much in the game. He's like, Coach, what do I have to do to play? in the game more. And I just was like, I have to know when I put you on the field that you know what you're doing. And he, he never questioned me again. He's a senior this year. He might be a captain. Like he's one of those kids. Like he never questioned it again. Cause that's as plain as I could put it. And I kind of was like a little brusque with it. I probably should have been a little lighter with it. You know what I mean? I should have had a little, little softer touch. But at the time I was just like, 
I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't know if everyone in your life is honest with you. Like, I, I feel like a lot of coaching is also help, helping these kids develop that kind of discipline, right? Like to, to be like, hey, I have to be honest with myself. Yeah, Coach Baxi, I'm sure you can talk a little bit about this, but, you know, a lot of these players coming to your program, a number of coaches that they've had haven't been honest with them. So when, you, when you're honest with these guys, you're like, wow, yeah, you're right, correct? Am I not telling you yeah. something? You yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's, it's, 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 it's probably one of the, it's the greatest and maybe hard, one of the hardest things we do is to have honest conversations with these guys. You know? And uh, I just had a player in here this morning and we were talking about that. He, he made the comment of, I only get pissed off if someone lies to me. I said, well, yeah, same. Right. So I think. I think being completely honest with, again, going back to that, you're building relationships here. So, and trust comes from, from all the things that go into to building that relationship and, and uh, honesty being the, one of the biggest ones. And I think players will grow to appreciate that if they don't see it right away, they'll, they'll, you're doing them a disservice. If you, if you're blowing smoke up their water, telling them something that they, they want to hear versus the thing that they, they might not want to hear in the moment. But if you're trying to get the best version of yourself or the best version of players or the best version of of your team, then that's the only way to do it. Go back to the selection process. Do you rely on your captains or your senior class when you make the decision that this guy is going to be your starting goalie or this guy is going to be your starting faceoff guy? So we, we take everything to account. We use a, a bunch of different data points. It's, it's, it's stats, it's weight room numbers. It's, we will talk to, to we'll talk to the players and, and get a, get a feeling for who they think is, is doing the things correctly when we're not watching that kind of thing in order to, and who they, who they trust, frankly, like, I think it's our decision to put the best players on the field. So I don't, we're not necessarily asking who they think that the best player is talent wise, but who's the guy that they might trust the most for sure. And I think that that all goes into the decision. Coach, you're going into the 2023 season. More than half of your team was underclassmen last year. 17 were freshmen. That's a wild number to me. That's, that's a, that's a crazy breakdown of, of your roster. How do you expect the guys that were juniors last year that are seniors now, guys that were sophomores last year, that are juniors now to respond to the new responsibility of like being the guy? Yeah. Well, we had a, a little bit of a sample this fall, which was great. And we're, we're becoming more of a, of a player led team. And those guys have been a big part of that. That seemed the senior class were, were freshmen when I got here. So I didn't recruit. They're the, they're the only class on the current roster that I didn't recruit. So, um, but we have eight of those guys, seniors right now that, that are doing a great job and they're, they're leading by example. And, and they've, they're really bought into the to the mission and vision and principles that we were talking about before and, 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 uh, and, and showing guys what it's like to be a Fairfield lacrosse player, which is really cool to see. And then the juniors that the same, the same, I would say they, they've, they're just a, a incredible lead by example group. They were our first, my first recruiting class. And uh, those guys, they, 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 they lead by example. They're, they're doing a great job with that. But I think to your point overall, we. We're a very, we're, we're a young group. I mean, we return our, our starting attack, which is, we're really excited about. And then we return everyone on defense outside of, outside of James, who you mentioned. So we're pretty excited about the experience that those guys gained last year. And then this fall was huge for them as well. And then in the midfield, we're, we're a little, little green right now, but we got some guys that, 
that we feel like can step up. We brought in a couple of transfers that we feel like can, can, will help us. And we brought in, or we have some guys, I should say, from, from those classes, you mentioned the younger guys that are going to step into some bigger roles this year. So yeah, it was, a, it was a great fall kind of a, to, to, to get all that under our belt, have those older guys lead and, and show guys what it meant to, to be a first of the crossfire, how to practice here, how to lift that kind of stuff. We're, we're really excited with the overall energy of the team though. It's been, it's been an awesome fall. What are, what are some of the good things about having a young team? Cause I think everyone just assumes like, oh no, I gotta, it's going to be tough. I gotta do so much teaching. What are some of the good things about it? Cause there has to be advantages. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think just the, just the eagerness of, of the, the these guys want to learn, they want to get better. And it's, I think it's, what's fun is, is for, for me now is, and I tell the guy, the, the recruits that sit in my office too, I said that we're building a relationship right now. We're recruiting these kids as juniors. I said, by the time you graduate here, we're going to know each other for six years. So some of these guys, like our juniors now, that their process was a little shorter than maybe, maybe it is now with some of these guys we brought in, but let's, let's take our sophomores, for instance. Now we're two years in with the second year with those guys here, but we recruited them for a year and a half ahead of time. So that relationship is now two and a half, three years deep. And I think, um, you're starting to build some of those things that we were talking about earlier, loyalty and trust and having hard conversations with them and, and you're able to see them grow right in front of your eyes, which is, which is really cool. They're going to make mistakes and, and they're not going to be perfect, but I think that's the most exciting thing as a coach is to watch kind of what you've been watering grow. Coach, if I'm a prospect and I'm looking at schools, why should I take a look at Fairfield University? I think it's a great spot from, from the overall student athlete experience, like I was saying before. I mean, I think if you take all the things into consideration here, academically, athletically, geographically, it's a great spot. And I think what I found, this is my fifth institution that I've worked at. And I found the people at Fairfield are just very passionate about this place. And there's going to be a lot of people here, starting with coaching staff that are going to care about the student athlete and, and have their best interests in mind. And that, that goes through to the professors, to the alumni, the administration here at Fairfield and the athletic department is tremendous. Um, and, and you just have a ton of people that are in your corner that are going to care about making you the best version of yourself. And I think that's probably our biggest sell when we have recruits in the office here, Jack. Expand a little bit on the academic programs that Fearfield offers. So we have, I would say close to 75% of the guys on our team are in the Dolan School of Business. It's just a great fit. It's a, it's a, it's a, probably the marquee college here at Fairfield. So business is a big part of things, but we do have guys that are in a bunch of different areas of study here. We have some pre-med guys, some bio guys, communications, education. There's a, there's a leadership program outside of the school that's really good or a management program, I should say. So we've got some great opportunities. And like I was saying before, I think the, the alumni and the passion that people have for this place is, is something I've never felt before. Coach, we want to thank you so much for coming on. I got uh, one more question. Oh, you got for one more? Yeah, coach. I have one more <laughs> question for you. What was one of the best experiences in your lifetime that you had oh my God. during your, your summertime? What was the, one of the best experiences you ever had? Summertime. So are you, are you alluding to the He's summer that dating. I had working for you at Fry? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my God. When I was stringing sticks in camp and, yeah. and slinging mesh. Yeah. You probably haven't strung a stick since, right? <laughs> but look. Look where you are today. Oh, hey. that was great. Yeah. No, thank you for that I, I, I take all the credit for it, coach. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you for that opportunity. It was incredible. It was great. I was just looking to, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do at that time, Jack. I knew I knew that I liked lacrosse and and I thought it was cool and, and seemed like there were some good opportunities out there for it. So, yeah, can't thank you enough for that. That was one of my first, first lacrosse experiences. I didn't work you too hard. 
Not at all. A few camps here, a few camps there. Yeah, it was great, great. great. Well, yeah. most of the time, Brian had a uh, housewife stringing their sticks. Well, yeah, we called the the, the the summer intern stick doctors back in the day. Oh, stick doctor. Yeah, stick doctor. What a so, term. So Coach Baxter was a stick doctor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can you string a stick? I used to string sticks, but I have I do I know you string sticks, but yes. I I have no interest in stringing a lacrosse stick. None of my players get to play with their own stringing. Well, well. not one. I'm like, no, I string it. Well, done. Yeah, but coach, Coach Gibson is my is the uh, Fairfield lacrosse stringing wizard. He strings every guy on the team's stick. That's how you gotta oh, do nice. it. Nice. Yeah. It's yeah. it's. I mean, it's a little micromanaging, but it does no, work. It makes like, a difference. You at least know what's gonna happen. That's you know what to expect. And they can't blame the stick. They can't look at the stick if they. That's right. They can't the tell ball. the coach. No, if, especially if the coach is stringing it. It's the yeah. stick. You're like, oh, that's no. key. Yeah, that's key. <laughs> yeah. All right, Coach. Well, we want to thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. And thanks again for listening to the Lacrosse Journals, Chasing the Gold Podcast. For Jack Piatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. Hey, Kyle. See you next time. I hope Santa's good to me. (laughs) 